Welcome on into the podcast, Good Hacks fans. I want to get sentimental right off the top. Okay. We started this operation, as it were, back in April. I think April 19th is the day that our first podcast went live on Anchor. Somewhere in there. And whether it already happened this past week or it's about to happen on Monday, school is starting back up. And it's moments like these that just put it into perspective just how long we've been working on this project, yeah. Tim and I, since the end of our spring quarter and through this entire summer together here in Evanston. And now, you know, in the next couple of days, we're both moving back home, searching for our first job. And, you know, I'll, I'll cut right to the chase here. This is the last time you guys at home are going to see us in this setting, in this format of the podcast. So we've got a lot on the docket. We've got a lot on the rundown today, but I just wanted to get that out of the way first because we're feeling emotional. And you do yourself a disservice even because this has been your brainchild for even longer than that. And yeah, our first episode went live on various platforms a little more than four months ago, but this has been something that you've been planning for quite a while. You came up with this idea more than a year ago, probably close to two years ago at this point. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, you were developing it. This is really your baby. I've just made a couple of changes here and there, a couple of adjustments, as it were. But this has been something that you've been thinking about for a long time. I'm glad we finally were able to get it done. Yeah, team. no, me too. It's been a blast. Thank you so much for the ride. It's not like we're done. Oh, no. We're going to keep going, and we got a playoff chase to cover, Absolutely. too. You may have not realized it, but you actually just made the perfect segue for me because it was about two years ago that I came up with the Good Hacks nickname. Max Goodman, Tim Hackett, Good Hacks, baseball, it's perfect. It is perfect. And now here we are on Players Weekend, when a lot of the best and most creative and most unique, and some bad ones, sure. <laughs> but nicknames are on the back of jerseys. This is now the third oh, yeah. season, yep. and we're here on Friday afternoon when we're recording this live, and... There's one game going on in baseball as we speak, as we're sitting here right now. It's the Nationals are at the Cubs, a couple miles south of us. And so while we, do, while we were doing our prep, I turned on the game. As one does. Yeah, and I, I had forgotten that these jerseys were being worn. You may remember last year, some fun colors, some unique and interesting ensembles. Yeah. Uh, some that looked like a throwback jersey, others that were a swing and miss. Hmm. And now this year, you probably know by now, there are all white jerseys and all black jerseys. And so I'll throw this to you. What was our reaction when we turned on my laptop and had the game on and immediately saw those jerseys in real life? Well, the short version is our reaction was not positive. You can see all the you know the promo shots and all the the listings and the Photoshop jobs or whatever of jerseys on these players, but this was our first time actually seeing them live in action, and the reaction was not positive. Uh, I personally didn't like it at all. Uh, I don't mind the idea, the idea being monochromatic white versus black in a sense, uh, where then and you could talk more about this where you each individual player can then build off of that foundation. So the idea was you have just a baseline foundation for a team versus team. There's no more starker contrast than this. 
you know, most elemental of polar opposites, white versus black, and then you're supposed to build off of that. I just don't think so far limited sample size through just one game, right, I guess. But right. the point is there's not going to be any reason for this to be totally different from game to game, from team to team, because there is no difference. Every team, well, every game, rather, will have this matchup one way or the other. One team will wear white, one team will wear black. So I think we it's safe to say that barring a couple of unique instances and a couple of unique variations on the theme from certain people throughout the weekend, we pretty much know what this is going to be like. It's going to be these baseline whites versus these baseline blacks, and whether the game is being played at Wrigley Field, at Dodger Stadium, wherever else, the overall reaction is going to be the same for us and I, we think for other people. The overall reaction is going to be this was a swing and miss. Yeah, so you mentioned it, that this is a an opportunity for players to work with a blank canvas, as that's it were. The, that's the pitch, if you will. To then have arm sleeves and cleats and sunglasses and wristbands and necklaces. They're going to pop with these uniforms. And that's fair and that's true. Yep. For example, uh, Adam Eaton was wearing a bright red arm guard. His sunglasses were a super cool iridium oakley kind of color. I, I wear Oakleys when I play baseball, so I know the different models. That's impressive. All right, you got me there. And, and the Nationals were wearing black, so that helps. Right. Me. And his shoes were like a, like a rainbow kind of thing, okay. New Balance shoes that he definitely customized. So that was great. Okay. But then John Lester's on the mound for the Cubs, and he's wearing just the white jersey and the white pants, and I believe it was white cleats, and that was it. Right. And it, it looked like he was... Something from MLB The Show in, you know, the 1940s version yeah. of the Cubs yeah. with some computer-generated player. It's all white. Maybe they have blue buttons or right. whatever, but everything is white. So the only other thing that we didn't mention from the, the press release from Major League Baseball is that the home team gets to choose the white or the black jersey. And the home team pitcher has to wear a different color hat. The, white, so, the, the pitcher wearing white must wear a dark color hat. Right. So Lester was wearing a regular blue Cubs hat. Right. But wasn't Anibal Sanchez pitching for the Nationals? Yes. I think it was. He was wearing a black hat yes. with his black ensemble. So, one, I would wager to say that every home team will choose white. Interesting. Because... Well, for one, you think of white for a home team. That's generally how it works. But the reason that they made the pitchers wear a darker colored hat is because they don't want the ball to blend in. But when you're throwing a pitch, sure, if it's at the top of your release, it's closer to your head. But if it's crossing over your body or you have a weird motion and you're, you're sliding back and forth, it's going to come across your jersey at some point. I, yeah, that's So I true. think it's advantage team with white jersey and if the home team gets to choose why on earth would they choose black that's a really interesting point i never really thought about it that way uh, i am not sure of the breakdown uh i'm not sure we i'm sure we do know the final results people know but yeah i'm not sure what the breakdown is but that that makes sense if people see that as some sort of inherent advantage whether it actually materializes into an advantage or not, if other teams are thinking the same way, we know that you've got you know the loads more experience in the in the jerseys with the sport than I do, so I'll defer to you. If teams are thinking that that might have some advantage, then they're going to go with it for sure. You're going to give yourself a leg up any way possible. That's why in a lot of sports there are small, perhaps with little actual great effect, but 
rule changes that benefit home teams. They, they exist in pretty much all professional sports. So small they may be, but they do exist. And so that's why home teams might win 53% of the time. Some studies are you know show different things, but there's a little bit of an advantage to playing at home for a lot of reasons. And if that could be a reason to benefit a home team, given that choice, there's no reason a team wouldn't choose that. Right, and playing at home, you have more fans and you're familiar with the area and the ballpark and all that. That factors in. Varies based on the ballpark this year. <laughs> sure, that's fair. <clears throat> Raise. Anyways, so if I step into the box and I'm away and I am facing the home team pitcher, they're probably going to be wearing a white jersey. Sure. You know, if it's the Yankees, they'll have the pinstripes on there. If it's the Mets, then it has a big logo across. So I think that a home team jersey that's white is not going to absorb the ball and make it harder for the the hitter to see. Sure. But now it's when also you look at white really, like they're That's the, true. The Yankees are white for sure, so that's not a great example, but even the Mets are kind of off white. It's a different color. Yeah. Even for me and as we'll get into, colors are not my strong suit. <laughs> I am partially colorblind, so I have a unique perspective on this and by unique I mean pretty much unfounded, but uh, and a you know, a perspective that you know, 8% of the entire world's population will share and nobody else. Even with that said, the colors are not the same as your points. These white jerseys, to me at least, the colors are closer. The all whites, monochrome white, baseline white, and the baseline white of a baseball are a lot closer than the Mets home jerseys, for instance. Yes, but what I was going for is these jerseys, they have a little bit of off-white, I guess. Obviously, the number and the name are not the exact same white as the jersey. But when we were watching this, they cut to Nicholas Castellanos in right field, and the sun was a factor, but we could not read his name or number on the back of his jersey. We didn't know if it said Castellanos or whatever nickname he had put on the back of his jersey. Whereas the black jerseys had the print in white over the number. So it was a lot easier to read. I also think that the black jerseys, you then have more of an opportunity to stand out. I think that bright colors would then stand out more with everything else being black. We're talking black pants. If you have bright red shoes with black pants, I think they're gonna stick out a lot more than white pants because someone on the Angels will probably wear all red shoes and when they're home, they're wearing all white pants. So that's nothing new. Okay. But if you're like the the black pants is is the variable here, because some teams wear black jerseys. You're talking about how the Diamondbacks with their whole uniform fiasco and they change things up. Their jerseys were black at a yeah, point. Yeah, they're all black. Yeah. The but the I know logo's the, a different color. Right. I know the Marlins have a, a new black yep. jersey, but the logo's a different color. Right. But they're not going to wear black pants. With did the Diamondbacks wear black pants? I think those? so. I think they but, might have. Yeah, but I think yeah. But the thing is, there are just subtle differences for these jerseys. It's all the same color. Obviously, they're contrasting colors, you know, team against team. Right. But for the same team, it's all the same. So that white top is the exact same as the white pants. Now maybe they'll get a little dirty over the course of a game or whatever, but there is no difference. And the logos are that kind of chrome white or dark black. They're kind of faded out. Honestly, so instead of it being a color, strange combinations of colors, uh, unusual combinations of colors, which was the case last year, this really, to me, appears to be just the idea of a lack of color 
because you've got, you know, the blank the, canvas. The blank canvas. Right. You've got, you know, this typical presence of all colors with white in terms of how you know, look at it artistically or in terms of how light processes versus the absence of all color in black. And so then you build on that. So, like you say, for the, the, the Nationals game that we watched, Trey Turner had what? A green shoe? Green shoes and, and that green looked, batting gloves. That looked cool with right. the all black. But I don't know that we would see something that specific. That specific example I don't think would work with the all-whites. The other thing is you can't read the jerseys. You can't read the names because the 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 text is light color. It's like some sort of light gray yeah. on the white jersey. So you can't read it really even just looking at it on on an image. That even seems, on a computer, it's hard to read. It is hard to read. Yeah. So I just don't love it. It makes my life incredibly difficult. Somebody with my disability, if you w- want to use that word, somebody as a broadcaster, it's incredibly difficult. I can yeah. tell you that even people that aren't colorblind, when I you know, used to cover high school sports, even a little bit in college, if the jersey is difficult to read, it makes a broadcaster, even a writer or you know somebody videoing on the sidelines, it makes your job a whole lot more yeah. difficult. Even if you are intimately familiar with a team, like we you know, got to be relatively with, you know, for example, Northwestern football over the last couple of years, even if you have an idea of what a player looks like, your job is a lot easier if you can just read a number and figure out where to go from there. And then if somebody has a similar number, you're in trouble. And if you can't read those numbers, if it's a dark jersey with a dark letter, dark lettering, as is often the case in high school, then your job is miserable. So just, I'm now sort of pleading here just for broadcaster sakes and other people like that, help help yeah. them out. We saw this with like the NFL color rush as well. Oh my Jerseys gosh, yes. are very difficult to read. And for the NFL especially, you're in very far away. I remember If that. you're going to be a broadcaster, you're far away from the field. So help these people out. This just doesn't help them. I love everything else about it. I like the idea that we're changing the jerseys from a financial, from a business aspect. It's another great way to sell merchandise because there's another jersey out there. And I guarantee you, if you are, you know, just use the same example, a Cubs fan or a Nationals fan, if you are a diehard Washington Nationals fan, you're going to buy this black jersey because you've got to have it in your collection of everything else. You're going to have an exposed jersey in there and everything. And not many people will have this one. Absolutely right. right. So, you you know, you've got the exclusivity factor, you've got the new factor, and you've got the fact that you've now updated your collection. So in that way, in that sense, this is a brilliant marketing strategy, and they will sell some jerseys. They always do across all sports. But from those other aspects, I don't really think that that's a success. To revisit the point about it being hard for someone in the press box, there was a picture on Twitter that I saw of the Nationals shifting to the right side. And the Nationals were the team in black, so the Cubs were hitting. I, I guess it might have been Kyle Schwarber up. And you really could not tell who was a Nationals fielder and who was an umpire. Sure. That's, Obviously, that's also a good point. odds are the first baseman isn't standing in foul territory, so you could kind of assume. But with the quirky shifts nowadays, the second base umpire... For someone who's not a diehard baseball fan, you literally could not tell in that picture. Yeah, They were all wearing all black. I, I like this idea, too. I love the blank canvas idea. But I think that this only really benefits a Marcelo Zuna sleeve or a player who is so out there that will go all out with all of the accessories and the colors. Mm-hmm. Or Wilson Contreras, if he was healthy, he's probably going to wear his home flag on his sleeve because he already does that sometimes. Uh, Jonathan Lucor's bat was an American flag. Super cool. But for those players who, for example, Jacob deGrom didn't change the name on his, on his jersey. 
There are a couple players who chose not to do this, whether it's for their, I don't know, bland personality, maybe. I've never met the guy. Or... Try he, he don't really have a nickname, which is like John Brebbia's case, apparently. He's never had a nickname, so he's just going with Brebbia on the back. Or it's superstitions, sure. and they don't want to change things up. That's the same thing. Someone who doesn't wear an arm sleeve, who doesn't wear a shin guard, is not just going to all of a sudden put this on. It, the game still counts the same. Very These true. people are in playoff chases, and they're trying to make money and make a name for themselves. So it might look cooler... But it only really benefits the players who already do this consistently. And then they can say, oh, my high school was bright green. I'm going to throw it back to that. Or I'm from a different country. I'm from a different continent. Let me put a flag on there somewhere. And that looks super cool. And you can honor people that way. But otherwise, I just, I don't think it was perfect. I think next year they got a choose something new, and that was something we talked about before going on the podcast. What was our idea that we came up Well, reference the, the Canucks okay. did something in the NHL, which we thought was really cool that you, you showed me. Yeah, so- that's exactly right. I kind of, I, I, when we were talking about how we would make this better, I kind of flashed back to this from last year where the Vancouver Canucks, which are a hockey team, we all know I'm a huge hockey fan, they had this sort of promotion at some point last year where they had a few different players on their roster. They all happen to be stars in the league, young stars. They all designed a new hat, a, like a baseball cap, essentially, that you, the fan, could a new era, buy. new era cap. Right, so New yeah. Era is the sponsor, and then all these players then, you know, made their own format, their own design, and then customized the logo, all that stuff. And so then you could buy the Brock Besser hat, and he customized himself by putting like his silhouette on the side, and his nickname is The Flow, which we'll get into that. So he has a super long hair, classic hockey look, that kind of stuff. So if you are you know, a Canucks fan, sure, and then maybe an NHL fan or a fan of Brock Besser like me, then you could buy that hat and say, I have you know, the Brock Besser hat. This is the same thing that fashion designers do. That's, this is why fashion designers are a thing, is you're going to go get an Armani. Because that's what's on it. You're going to get Dolce & Gabbana. Or, you know, I could go on if I needed to. It's, from as somebody who doesn't do this as much, and then even, you know, just go to brand names, Nike versus Under Armour versus New Balance or whatever, you're going to buy those based on those names. Right. You become wedded, if you will, to those brands. That's how branding works. So if you have, you know, become an Under Armour fan or used to only wear that or whatever, if that, if that works for you or you like it, You'll stick with it. That's how it goes. Or your favorite player is Steph Curry. You'll probably get Under Armour shoes. Absolutely. That's a, another. So big if your piece favorite player is this hockey player, yeah. you see him customize this hat, you go buy the hat. I think that absolutely is the case. So here's the idea. Then this is all about making money for Major League Baseball. It's like you said earlier. It's just another jersey for people to buy. So what if the players designed? either the hats or the jerseys. Okay. What if we started with this blank canvas, and we'll stick with the Cubs just because we've been using them as, as an example. They know they're going to be wearing white. The team meets prior to this and, and does some sort of customization. Maybe you get like a behind-the-scenes video that comes out later. But then on a live MLB Network show, Chris Bryant and Anthony Rizzo come on live and present it as if it's like a project runway it's, it's competition. Auction. It seems like an auction, right. basically. But yeah, and we've created this. Here's what we. This this is the fruits of our labor. Right, and so I guess they'll have to work with the Nationals to make sure they're not too similar because we don't want it to be a, a color rush situation sure. where where things are too similar. 
but that would be so cool if I, at home, am a huge Chris Bryant fan, and he's like, you know, I, I wanted this huge streak of red to go under the Cubs logo to show how we slash the heart of opponents. <laughs> I'm making this up on the spot, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, that's so cool that he came up with that. I already have his jersey, but now it's going to be something on the front, too. And it looks cool because they would have designers that help with it. They wouldn't make something like a slash of the heart. That was a horrendous example. I don't know. I think it's, but it's, it's, you know what I mean. It's unique. It was an, it's an idea. And it's like... got to start big. This is how design do works. Do you know what Diamond Dynasty is in MLB The so. Show? Okay. You can design your, your uniforms. Sure. All right. yeah. So in my player mode, you can choose all the accessories, but you can design the uniforms and the logo in this other mode. Okay. So you start with the blank canvas, and not only can you add the accessories and have random colors and stuff, but the jersey itself is even cooler than what it is right now, and even cooler than what it was last year, because for most teams, it was already the team's colors in two different places. Mm -hmm. It wasn't that out there. For some of them it was. But a lot of them, it was just gray down the middle and then the team's dominant color on the sleeve. Now, it's absolutely nothing. It's either white or black. So if, you th if they could find a happy medium between the two and have the players design stuff, I think that's the win-win. Yeah, and even if it's just individualized, where like using the Canucks example, I don't know if MLB would let everybody design or even if they collectively got together and designed a jersey. First of all, I don't know if everybody would want to participate in that for various right. reasons. You're not very creative like me. Perhaps then that just doesn't interest you. Mm -hmm. But even if we assume that that doesn't matter, I don't know how much MLB, how much leeway the league or the organizations would give for players to design the jersey. I just don't know. Yeah. But I think a hat isn't out of the question for this weekend. So we mentioned that John Lester since they're wearing a white jersey, has to wear a darker hat. So he basically just wore the straight-up dark blue Cubs hat with the Bear Cub logo on the front, okay? Why can't they design their own hats for this weekend? So you right. got to have the logo or some version of the logo on there somewhere because you are still you know, on that team and it has to represent the team, that stuff. So it has to have the color scheme or a color and the logo or some version of the logo on there somewhere. That's the only stipulation. Other than that, you can do whatever else you want. You can put your number. You can put your phone number on the side. You can put a message to your fans like the NFL players do with their cleats. Yeah. All this kind of stuff. I think that would be another happy medium. Oh, for sure. And since there are so many other logos, you could do a throwback logo. You talked about the Expos already. If that's somebody wanted to wear an Expos hat for whatever reason for this weekend. Because that's what the Canucks did, too. Exactly. They have the right. throwback Vancouver Canucks logo. They have had loads of logos over their uh, history. So loads to choose from. So for a team like that, you know, even more options. I think that could be a happy medium. And then you could just literally have your signature on the hats like an artist does, put it in the bottom right corner of your painting. This is your handiwork. So now you've got the Chris Bryant-approved hats. And obviously, players will market their own New Era hats or whatever it is anyway, even if they don't fully design it. Yeah. This would, in theory be a Chris Bryant-designed hats with all of his modifications, maybe even a game-worn hats and its replicas, I think that's another way to balance this out. So if MLB decides that they want or need to create and mandate the jersey so there aren't any mix-ups or any crossover like you hinted at, okay, I'm okay with that, as long as it's better than what it has than what we have this year. I think players can design their own hats. That would be cool. You can then customize your own accessories however you will and then add that into the nickname thing. 
think you've got a personalized weekend that allows for some flair, that allows for some creativity as much as you want. And if you want to just go out and pitch, want to just go out and hit for a couple of days like you always do, fine by me as well. Yeah, it's the perfect combination between marketing for the players and the league and making money and having the players be able to just have fun and showcase personality and just be out there for those three days. It's it's an outlet for them. Yeah. And this was this I'm sure baseball purists hate this weekend and and want those uniforms to stay the same and we'll get to that. But bottom line, the thing that stays consistent over players weekend and in 2020, maybe you can watch this back and maybe we'll get it right. But the thing that will definitely stay consistent is the fact that there is a different name on the back of 96% of, of players' jerseys. The option is there. So we wrote down one, two, three, four, five, six of our favorites. There's so many to choose there are from. There loads, yeah. So of these six, Tim, which are a couple of your favorites, and then I'll reveal the rest of I them. I think that just there are so many different kinds of these nicknames that you and I have been looking at for the last few hours or so. So you've got baseline pro-athlete plays off of last name nicknames. And again, we can dip back into hockey for just a brief second here. This happens to every single hockey player and for loads of baseball players as well. So I was reading about Brandon Woodruff, for example. His nickname is Woody, and he's had that for his entire life because that's his last name. Right. I remember for, you know, if you'll indulge me for a second, the Boston Bruins traded for a defenseman named Colin Miller. They already had a defenseman named Kevin Miller. They were both Millsy for their entire career, and now they're both on the same team. So you have to pick. Only one Only one can survive. There can right. only be one Millsy. Yeah. So they had to fight it out, and the other one changed it up just slightly. So that's how those nicknames work. So loads of guys have that. So Brandon Woodruff is Woody this mm-hmm. weekend. I don't have a problem with that necessarily. Sure. It's not creative from you know his high school or whatever, whoever first gave him that nickname, yeah. his first minor league team. It's not creative in that sense, but it's new. It's unique, and it is true to him. And that is what the spirit of a nickname is yeah. for me. It means something to everybody. So we talked about it a little bit last week. What would our names be on the back of a jersey? I don't know. It's You could go a whole bunch of different ways. Right. Uh, we can talk about that more later. But specifically... I love those kinds. I think that I love this weekend because every name means something. Like I even hinted at, we don't know why Jake DeGrom is keeping his normal last name on there. John Brebbia apparently said he's never really had a nickname that fits with this. Whether that's true or not, I don't really know. But so Brebzy doesn't work for him. Brebby doesn't work, I guess. But so he decided to just stick with it because he's like, may as well. I don't have anything better to do. Okay, fair enough. But all these other guys that either have been given cool nicknames by their family or their friends or their former teammates, I love these stories. And the cool thing about it is that every single nickname has some kind of story. Behind. Yeah. We, we want to know the story behind every single one. So last year when I was working for MLB.com, I talked to Nick Markakis before a Braves game because the back of his jersey said TTT. And he said that, Earlier in his career, people called him Cakes, but that this was an opportunity for him to put his family on his jersey and his three sons, the first letter of their three names is a T. So I know a couple other guys on the Braves still do that. Yep. Uh, Tyler Flowers. Tyler Flowers is one, yep. And uh, Charlie Culberson, I think. Right. And uh, Freddie Freeman had put Andrew on the back to honor one of his brothers. Remember what happened with Mike Trout? Sure. He put his brother-in-law on the back of his jersey. So... Whether it's Kirsch 
for Kershaw, which is pretty simple, yep. anybody could come up with that nickname, yep. <laughs> but there, who said it first? I want to know that story. And who came up with uh, Pina, Pina Cito? It's, it's like Pina Cito or something is Lourdes Gabriel Jr. Yeah, because yeah. there, there's such a huge spectrum. I think that Brad Boxberger stole the show last year, sure. and if he was still in the league this year, I'm sure he would have the same thing, but it was the box emoji and the burger emoji, yeah. and it was the first we had ever seen of emojis. And this year, there are a couple emojis. Yeah, close to a dozen. Really? I think I didn't so. know it was that many. So we highlighted... D. Gordon has the lightning bolt flash. For flash. Justin Upton has the letter J, and then the up arrow for okay. J up, and et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, so our two favorites favorites, a couple that stood out to us, is Nick Martini on the A's, had a martini glass. Yep. So simple, so effective. This just flips the other thing on his head, because he could have just kept the word martini, which is a funky last name. Yeah. It's an unusual last name. I think that's fair to say, regardless. And if he just kept the last name, then we would have said, well, that's kind of boring. He could have tried right. harder. All he did is just put the emoji on yeah. there. And I'm sure people have used that for him for the last four years anyway, but it's just funny. It's and then unique. Ty Buttry on the Angels has the peach emoji and the tree emoji. I'll let you guys figure that one out <laughs> on your own. But then Hunter Pence didn't use emojis. He had different forms of punctuation to make the, the shrug. The shrug emoji. Yeah, that's which a is just no one's ever called him that. I guess unless Probably his nickname not. was the shrug. Well, the shrug. I don't think so. I don't think but that's it. It's so it's that's, so unique. That's so him as well. And then uh, Francisco Lindor. Everyone knows that he's Mr. Smile, but he didn't just keep it as Mr. Smile. He put smiley faces on either side. It's just those little things. I love Eric Thames. I think he absolutely killed it because I'm sure people have called him E.T. over the years, and we are movie connoisseurs. We love movies. So E.T. phone home, and his nickname on the back of his jersey is phone home. A lot of people will understand that. It's creative. He went the extra mile instead of just putting E.T. That plays off of what I said earlier because if I assume it's possible that his nickname for his entire baseball career, his entire life, could be E.T. Like Brandon right. Woodruff has had Woody forever, he says. So he could have just gone with E.T. And we would have said, fine, that makes sense. Good nickname, probably but he didn't means stop something. There. But he didn't stop there. Yeah. He went that extra step, and he made a joke out of it. It's supposed to be fun. Right. That's the idea. You know, we're sitting here like I'm the executive here. That's like, we're going to have <laughs> some fun. This weekend will be fun for the players, damn it. And we're, everybody's going to have fun. Manufactured fun is the best kind. But regardless of, he took this in stride is my point. I really appreciate that about Eric. Yeah, and it, it, it's fun. It's honoring things that mean a lot to you. It's being silly. Miles Michaelis is, on the back of his jersey, it's 5280 apostrophe S. First name is Miles. That's the amount of feet in a mile. Yep. That's creative. No That's one's great. ever called him... 5280. I <laughs> doubt that. Maybe they have. Then Austin Riley has Ocho on the back. Ryan Braun also has Ocho. I think a couple other people might too. Well, Ryan Braun wears number eight, doesn't he? Right. right. But Austin Riley told media that the reason why he put it at Ocho is because of just how many times he's been taken out in the eighth inning as a defense yeah. for, for a defensive replacement. Yeah. So apparently it's his, self-deprecating. His teammates call him Ocho because right. the eighth inning comes up and he's just like, oh, well, my time's up. And right, we'll Austin sit down must the rest be being taken out. <laughs> so, so he's hurt right now, so we don't get to see that. Right. But that's just so clever, and there's a story behind it. Yeah. Last one, Colin McHugh, one of my favorites, 12 to 6. Curveball, obviously, but it's also the name of his podcast. 
So shameless plug right there. You gotta respect the hustle for Colin McHugh. <laughs> and if I was in the bigs, mine would definitely be good hacks. I think I think that if we somehow ended up in the big leagues together, or if we were representing the same team, right. we should design our own baseball jerseys with our own logos and stuff like that on the front. It would turn into you know be slightly awkward, but it would turn into like one of those couples jerseys that you see all the time, where you get like you know married in on the back or together, right, together since, since. Yeah. 1965 or whatever, right. and you wear the jersey of your adopted favorite team together. So that would, that would be what it is. So we would have our individual Buen Hombre jerseys or the hacksaw jersey, which we talked about last week mm-hmm. but if we did a couple's jersey It'd be good hacks right and yeah. then what number would you go with mine would probably be 33 that was my number through high school okay. and, and college too i guess i would go i never really had a number quite like that because i changed around so much but yeah. uh i i'd go with 22 which is my sister's favorite number all right so for colin McHugh, you get a nice professional photo of him <laughs> in the uniform with it saying 12 to 6 and there's your new header for your podcast sure and it's just perfect for social media. So that's the spectrum, folks. Players Weekend is so much fun. I think they could do better with the jersey next year. But a lot of nicknames are tremendous this year. If someone wants to design those jerseys for us, we're, we're all ears. Let's oh, see. yeah. I, I collect jerseys. <laughs> I guess true. I've never said that on this show. I have almost 25 different jerseys. A lot of them are fake. I'm not afraid <laughs> to say that. Uh, being a college student is hard on your wallet. And I'd get the real jerseys, too. I also wish that I could be like the Cespedes uh, BBQ guys with the jerseys. I would, I would be all over that <laughs> if I could wear a different jersey every single time we came on camera. Let's transition now. We could talk about this for a whole hour, honestly. We could. But the Yankees play at the Dodgers this weekend, starting Friday night. And this is a series that we've been talking about pretty much all season now as a World Series preview, something that TV executives are going to be eating up and salivating over starting right now. Because now is the taste. I'm sure that it's Sunday Night Baseball, right? That would be my sure, guess. I'm not sure, I think so, yeah. It probably, it is. probably is. So to transition from Players Weekend to how big of a series this is, do you think that you know the old-time Yankees and Dodgers players are like rolling in their graves right now? <laughs> that they're going to see these jerseys and these nicknames in this historic rivalry? I think you could call it a historic. I mean, they're storied franchises. They're, yeah, I think you, we've, I, I made a claim like this before, but I think that in terms of Major League Baseball and even American sports, they're the two of the most recognizable franchises yeah. in this sport. I would also throw the Red Sox and the Cubs in that sure. mix. I would I would try to think of a fifth one around out of top five, but those are two in the top five unquestionably of like, the most it, storied, most marketable, best recognized, best followed yeah. fan bases in this sport. And they represent the two coasts of the country. Perfect. Is it a disservice to this rivalry? They haven't played since 2013, and they don't play every year. Right. Interleague, we're starting to see it more, and we were chatting off the cuff earlier about trying to do some quick maths and try to figure <laughs> out if they could interject interleague even more into the season schedule. Because you, I had the, uh, the lineups up for when the last time the Yankees played at Chavez Ravine. And the names on there, it was so cool to look back and just transport yourself back to 2013. If only they could play every year. It would be so much more fun. But, okay, I, I digress. What do you think about the fact that these jerseys and nicknames are being used? Do you care? 
I don't really care because, like, to use your words earlier, the games matter the same, and they're all going to be played. And unless the jersey catches fire when it shouldn't be because it's a limited edition and that you know injures somebody, <laughs> these are not going to catch uh, fire. Probably not, <laughs> unless you know the sun shines on it and reflects off the black jerseys or whatever. I don't know. It's going to be super hot. Who knows? Hey, the black team is going to be hotter than the white team. I really think the it, sun reflects off the white. I really think it, it might be the case. Yeah. It's really not out of the realm of possibility. But to actually answer your question, I don't really care that much, okay. but I do think it will make for an interesting way, a very easy flashback if this is indeed the World Series where you say, look, MLB would like that as well because they look, here's a promotion that we had. Here's something cool that we did and it'll look a little bit different than any other series highlight, I guess. Uh, but... No, I mean, I don't think it matters too much per se, but uh, I certainly think that, you know, the old school folks might be rolling in their graves proverbial or otherwise about this. Yeah, sure. you, could, you could also argue that new fans and, and kids younger than us love this. Maybe. Maybe. Who knows? This is also a series to watch because it could be the World Series. That's what I predicted at our, our midway playoff bracketology kind of thing. Yeah. So what what do we need to look for in this series? Is it hitting? Is it bullpens? Is it pitching matchups? For example, Friday night, James Paxson is pitching against Hyunjin Ryu. Two big-name lefties, and that could potentially be a Game 2 matchup in the World Series. And then the third game of the series, so Sunday night, it's Domingo Herman against Clayton Kershaw. That's right. That is Sunday Night Baseball, incidentally. And that could be Game 1 if Domingo Herman gets the ball in Game 1. I, I doubt we would see that, and Kershaw will probably get, get it in Game 1 for the Dodgers. But those are, those are big matchups. Those those are two, are, they'd all be pitching in that series one way or another. Right. And so Game 2 is a little different. Right. It's CC Sabathia yeah. and a rookie for the Dodgers. Yeah, Tony Gonsolin, who has been a meteoric rise, drafted in 2016 in the ninth round, I think, and is in the majors this year. So that's right. pretty impressive. So for me, and then I'll toss it to you, I think that this is a really cool opportunity for the Baby Bombers and the youngest Dodgers to get an opportunity to face those pitchers against them, respectively, because you may face them in the World Series and otherwise, if this series doesn't happen, and they're both going to win their divisions, this series doesn't matter that much no. besides home field for the Yankees, which is up in the air still. They could get swept either way, and it, they'd still make the playoffs. Right. But now, Glaber Torres is going to get to face Clayton Kershaw and get to face Hyunjin Ryu and, and at least get some timing down. The best hitters are able to remember that throughout the rest of the year. Whereas DJ LeMahieu has faced Hyunjin Ryu and Clayton Kershaw and those other pitchers in their bullpen who have been there for a long time. Kenley Jansen, he was on the Rockies, so he's faced them a bunch. Didi Gregorius was on the Diamondbacks, he's faced them a bunch. So to watch the, the, the different matchups, because again, the, the, the results in the end don't really matter. You could, if the Yankees happen to sweep the series, say, oh, well, the Yankees are going to win the World Series now. You could argue that. I think that could be important. It's, it's fair. It, you can make educated guesses based on how this series goes. But the fourth inning at bat between Gary Sanchez and Hyunjin Ryu, if Sanchez gets beat on a couple things and doesn't adjust, you can think about now he has a month, two months to, to watch that film over and over again. 
if that's what ends up being the the matchup in the World Series, there's just so much, so many intricacies that that we love to pick up on in this three game set. I totally agree. I think that's the most important thing about this. And then obviously the series result might help the winning team again if they face off again. But you, you, that can't be a sure thing. I think what you have to make a sure thing is the little lessons that you learn. So if you face the same relief pitcher maybe twice in the series, or more importantly, if you're a hitter facing these starting pitchers for the first time ever, I don't care if you, as the hitter, you come up empty. If you're Gary Sanchez and you go 0 for 4, let's say, somehow against Hyunjin Ryu in this first game, that's not the worst result in the world. It's obviously not going to feel good for him on Friday when that hap- if that happens right. and Ryu will you know, have the last laugh in that sense. But Sanchez needs to then, this, hy- this is all hypothetical, but he needs to take that and then translate that to this hypothetical World Series it. matchup. Because you could watch film of Hyunjin Ryu all day. You can watch highlight reels and say, wow, this guy's an amazing pitcher. I respect him, all that stuff. That's great. But there is no substitute for actually having faced this guy. And for Ryu specifically, there are only three guys on the Yankee roster right now that have ever faced him before. Now, obviously, he hasn't been in the league so long, and Kershaw has been in the league a lot longer. But only, you mentioned Gregorius and LeMahieu, who obviously used to be in the division, and Cam Mabin, who used to be in the National League as well. So those are the only three guys who have ever faced Ryu before. So I don't care if Gary Sanchez goes 0 for 4 with three strikeouts, and if Gleyber Torres goes 0 for 4 with a couple of soft groundouts. I don't care. That's not bad if they decide to learn from that. And then if you face Ryu again in Game 1 of the World Series, having that experience maybe helps Glaber Torres adjust and pull a single. I think that's possible, and that's what I think each team has to look out for. While you were saying that, it's almost like if you're Gary Sanchez, we're using this example, and you're facing Hyunjin Ryu, it's almost like you'd rather go 0 for 4 with a couple strikeouts and a hard line drive somewhere just so that the pitcher thinks that they're comfortable against you. Sure. Because if if Sanchez hits three home runs on Friday night, takes Ryu out of the game, he will not see those pitches that he hits home runs on in the World Series matchup. You right. could you could argue the that. Pitchers have to do the exact same thing. I kind of was slanted from my pitcher favored when I think the pitcher has the upper hand in this brand new matchup. Not necessarily, because you're right. Sanchez could go out there and hit a couple of home runs or hit everything really well, and now Ryu's on the defensive, and he has to then adjust to say, look, you know, he hit all these pitchers off of you know my fastball, or he hit all these home runs off of my fastball. Again, we're making it up. And so now when he faces Sanchez again, he's not going to throw him a fastball at all or certainly at a much exactly. lower rate. So if, you're, if you want that fastball, when it, when it counts, maybe you go up there this series and – Think of it as like a BP session almost and just say, all right, we're going to see these pitches late. Just try to go the other way, situational hitting, and not try to hit the ball 500 feet and, and help your average because this really can impact the World Series. Th- there is a high probability that this is the World Series matchup sure. at the end of this season. Yes. It's completely possible. Very much so. In fact, you could say that the Dodgers will likely be in the World Series. That would be, that's you know betting odds right now for sure. Right. Whereas it's the Yankees or Astros in terms of front runners at this point. No question. So beyond just the results this weekend, there are going to be mind games that are played. Do you want to have 10 strikeouts and have the Yankees see your best stuff if you're Clayton Kershaw? Hmm. Or do you want to Take it back a couple notches, not get hurt, not show them something you've been working on and save it for later. Maybe we're reading into this just a little bit too much, you but I think, it's, I think it's worth noting. Absolutely. 
I think that if if you pay attention to analytics and and certain pitches being thrown, if you watch Kershaw's start and he happens to throw 10% less of a pitch or 20% less times as he uses his slider, I think there's a reason for that. There are reasons for everything. People have yeah. access to all this kind of data that now we, the common fan and amateur media, are just now starting to access. And I can't even begin to even just hope and think about some of the stuff that actually exists because I think it's fascinating. It's all way above my pay grade, but I think it's, <laughs> it's, it's really interesting. So, yeah, usually if there's a reason for something like that, if, if there's if, well, there's smoke, there's fire, right? So if something like that happens, there's usually a reason, and I think that's interesting. The other thing I will say is that you have to treat this on both sides, and this is not groundbreaking at all, but both sides will treat this, whether they see each other in the World Series this year or next year or whatever it is, you have to treat this like this won't be the only time that you see Hyunjin Ryu. So right. even if it is advantage pitcher in this first ever matchup, somebody like Gary Sanchez should say, look, we're going to see this guy again. Even if we don't play at Dodger Stadium for another six years, like how it's worked with interleague, that's how I think hitters should go about every new pitcher. So for you know the Yankees, if we mm. stick with them, if they face, I don't know, Sean Reed Foley, who got promoted to the Blue Jays for the first time, or a new pitcher in the division, you expect to see them a lot. Yeah. This isn't going to be the only t- – obviously, some people will flame out and you'll never see them again. That happens and it's unfortunate. But for a starting pitcher especially, you're going to expect to see them a lot over the course of your career if you expect to stay with that team in that division. And even if you move around teams in the division, whatever, you expect to see that pitcher again. So if you're going to face a debuting Brendan McKay, for instance, like the Yankees saw him in his second ever start, he was okay – and the Yankees are an amazing offensive team and got to him once or twice, you expect that, you know, we're going to see Brendan McKay again. I'm right. going to be on the Yankees for 10 years. I'm going to face him again. So even yeah. if he beats me in his first ever start against us, let me learn from this so I know how to beat him two years down the line. Well, talking about this makes me want to watch this series. Yeah. <laughs> because the, the baseball minds are going to be looking for these kind of things. And all I'll say, because I do think I read into it a little bit too much, maybe, but... My prediction is a lot of first-pitch takes by hitters because you want to learn from these at-bats. It would be silly to swing at the first pitch and ground out, get back to the dugout and be like, well, damn, now I have one less opportunity to learn about this pitcher to help me down the road. Absolutely. I think that you have to – let's just play it out. You're going to get a couple of opportunities against these starters, and it works for the Dodgers on the other ways. Not many of them have seen James Paxton, for instance. Uh, so just feel it out. And yeah. then the, the, you might see the same thing in game one of a World Series, for instance. If this is the first or second time you're facing that starting pitcher, you expect you'll see them again in game four or five, depending on how it works. So that's how you, that's how you have to treat the start of something like this, knowing that you'll see these players again. For whichever side of the coin you're on, hitter or pitcher, you know you're going to see them again. So do what you've, take what you've learned through your preparation Turn that into as best of a performance as you can have for the first time. But what's more important than that first time is the dozen of times after that you're going to face Absolutely. these hitters again. Lots to watch from that series. And the Yankees are coming off of getting swept by the Oakland A's. They're on a West Coast swing right now. I think that one of the, one of the few flaws in good hacks, an otherwise perfect operation, <laughs> is we really haven't talked about the A's that much. And we're not even going to have that much time to talk about them today. We could talk about their surge. Now they are not only in the first wild card spot, yeah. but they are ahead of the Rays by a little bit. The Indians have trailed off. And now both of us didn't put the A's in our postseason prediction. 
but now it looks like they're the favorite to win the wild card game. Uh, sorry, to, to win the first spot in the wild card game. You could say that they're the favorite, maybe. Right now it's the Rays that would go on the road to the uh, Coliseum in the Bay. Could be the Indians. They're only uh, half a game back as of now. But the one thing I want to talk about with this team, and it's our call-up corner this week, is A.J. Puck just got called up. And I'm going to give you the floor because you know a lot more on him than I do. But try to get to this at the end. If you're a pedestrian MLB fan and you're watching a team make this much progress in a wild card race, in a playoff race, because they weren't in the wild card spots a couple months ago. Right. They have been playing better, what was it, last month that they were one of the best teams in the yep. AL, and now they are comfortably, to a certain extent, in that wild they're card safely, position. They're, they're in it. They weren't there before, and now they are. Now they're calling up a top prospect. Do you look at that as... We need him to make an impact now. He's a starter. He's going to slide into our rotation and help us get into the playoffs and go in the playoffs. Or is this, let's throw him into this race so he can dip his toes into it and be ready for next year. I think it depends on the individual player and the situation that player finds himself in. But for this player in this situation specifically, it's the second thing you said. This is a look to the future. Okay. The A's next year and this has been something that has been said about the, Ra- the A's excuse me, for a little while, the A's rotation next year could be amazing in terms of the young talent that they've got. Frankie Montas might be back. We don't really know with his suspension thing. Sean Manaya has been out all this year. He's in theory working back from Tommy John, I think. But they're two top prospects. Both pitchers, two of the top pitching prospects in baseball, are steps away. And A.J. Puck is the first guy to leap over that final threshold for now. But like you say, he's a starter, so he is hoping to be in that rotation, and everything I see pegs him as a number two or a number three in any rotation when he's at the top of his game. His counterpart, his you know, future teammate, Jesus Lazardo, has been billed as a one or two in any rotation. So that's what the top of an Oakland A's rotation could look like as soon as next year. As soon as opening day next year, perhaps, wow. if all okay. goes well. The thing is, both of these guys have both had injuries. So, Lazardo had an injury at the start of this year, which has hampered him. Puck was out all of last year with Tommy John, and Lazardo has had Tommy John before in his life, too. So, that's slowed wow. the process for both that's of these pitchers. the way pitchers. the game is these days. Absolutely correct. It's very sad, and I could talk about that specifically for another 15 minutes if we really want it. <laughs> but Puck has been called up now as a look to the future. So okay. as it stands right now, he is not going to slot in and be that rotation in the rotation and you know fill a hole left by Frankie Montes because Tanner Roark has done that. That's why they traded for him. That's why you that said they should trade, trade for Stroman, and they traded for Roark instead, and he's been great. They traded for Homer Bailey, and he's been really good, yeah. which is stunning to me, you, me, and everybody else <laughs> yeah. that follows baseball. But those two guys have been really good in their rotation. So you bring up Puck as another lefty to help out the end of the bullpen, the middle of the bullpen, really, because they have Jake Diekman, who they also traded for, and Ryan Buckter and White Chung Wong, and that's really it. Okay. So the hope is next year he's able to move into the rotation pretty much full-time. But this year he's still really recovering from Tommy John. He's only thrown 25 innings across all three levels of the minor league. So he started in that's A+. That's bonkers. Yep. Started in A+, this year, was good. I don't know every, every detail. Moved to A, was great. Moved wow. to A, was okay. Hasn't been fantastic at A in the PCL where offense numbers are off the charts. Yeah. He's only thrown 25 innings. And now they said, look, we've seen enough. We think you're healthy. We believe you're, you're in your, we're confident enough in you. 
We're going to bring you up now to see what you can do. Next year, maybe you start on opening day as our number four pitcher in the rotation. Maybe Lazardo, who's coming back from his own injury at the start of this year, like I said, comes in. He starts as the number three. Because I looked it up. I'm not the general manager. I'm not in the front office, so I don't know where contract negotiations stand with everybody. But almost everybody that has appeared in a game as a starting pitcher for the A's this year, their contract ends in 2019. Mike Fires has one more year. Okay. But Frankie Montes is a separate case, so maybe you can leave him out. Mike Fires has one more year. Anderson, Bassett, Bailey, and Roark, their two deadline acquisitions, their contracts as it stands end in 2019. So some of them have options, and you can trigger clauses and all that stuff. But their baseline contracts end after this season. Okay. So I wanted to look this up because I wanted to see what could this rotation look like next year. I think it's likely that they bring back some of those guys. There's or not try that, to, at least. Right, absolutely. They might you know, qualify or an extended offer to everybody. Sure. There's attrition, but not that much. That you're going to lose five starters. So some of them are going to be gone. Maybe Bassett is gone. I don't know. Let's make it up. So you have a spot open. For Lazardo and Puck to start off as your three and four, and then you're hoping that two years, that's your one-two. And look, having not even seen these guys in the major leagues yet, if they profile anything like they have been, and that's of course the risk with prospects, but if those two guys turn out into anything close to what they can, that's the top of a rotation, and that could be the start of something amazing for Oakland going forward. Well, it's, it's a tough position for them because of the Astros yeah. in that division. Like, you really are just striving for second unless all the planets align and you're able to surpass them at some point in the next few years. But if you're the general manager or, or a scout or anything in that front office and organization as a whole, you have to know that the Death Star in Houston, <laughs> that's the Yankees, but in that division, it's the Astros. Yep. They're not just going to roll over for you. So I trust you. If these two guys have the potential, that is a Bryce Harper-esque rise through the minors. Yeah. You said it yourself, meteoric. That's crazy. Yeah, he was a, and he was a, I don't know, twenty late 20s, 30th round draft pick out of right. high school by the Tigers. Didn't sign. Okay. Went to Florida. Became a first round pick, sixth overall, after a few years of pitching at Florida. So that's what pitching at a program like that can do. And they've yeah. had a couple of successful guys come they out have. over the last couple of years. Brady Singer might be the next. Anyway, so that's what you can do. But even as a top draft pick like that in 2016, after missing a full year with Tommy John, when obviously, you know, a sprained ankle is nothing to sneeze at, but Tommy John, I think, is more serious than that, for instance. Right. He was out for a whole year with that, serious, with that serious injury and surgery, and now he's still already up in the majors, albeit in a limited role, albeit with limited action, with limited exposure for now. But even if, you know, in his debut, he faced three batters and got one of them out. That's what happened. Okay, not great. Still has a zero ERA. He's not scored, but it's not perfect for him yet. I think he can be. He's got fastball slider, top grade. So he's got the the um, really the the heat aspect of it from the left side. And then Lazardo is a little bit more crafty. He's got I think a curveball that rates you know top notch things like that, upper tier rating rated pitch. So that's how they're different. They both pitch from the same side, but have a little bit of a different approach. So even though you're not going to have the typical one left, one right type of deal, I don't right. think, you still have slightly different types of pitchers sure, that can sure. be the top of your rotation real So soon. that's that's our call-up corner this week, but sounds like it might be our call-up corner again soon. It might be. Definitely two guys to keep an eye on. And honestly, I got to just say, Oakland is such a conundrum to me because we haven't talked about them. It's not like we haven't 
watched anything that they've done this year. You tune into a game every once in a while sure. on the West Coast when you're up late. <laughs> and you look at their roster this year, Chris Davis with a K is hitting 218. He's not hitting 247, no, first get, of all. He needs to get that 30 points higher. I mean, I, if anybody could do it, maybe it's him. <laughs> but still, it's disappointing. They're really just relying on, on guys like uh, Ramon Laureano and Robbie Grossman. It's Chapman and Olsen. It's Chapman and, Ols- Chapman and Simeon and then Olsen and then everybody else. It's really, but it's, it's, just, it's interesting to me that I can't really point my finger on why they're playing so well. You know, maybe it's a Moneyball thing going on behind the scenes. Also, exposing Tim. He's never seen Moneyball. I've, it's it's on ridiculous. My, it's on my list. I wanted to see it when it came out, and I still haven't done it. It's been nine years. Sorry to, to do that to you. Yeah, I'm annoyed. All, all right, right. I'll, I'll transition quickly <laughs> to our Buen Hombre of the Week, who should be the Buen Hombre of the Week every week. It's Mike Trout, the face of the game. And he did something pretty special this week. He passed Derek Jeter in career war. Derek Jeter played two decades <laughs> the captain. He's future Hall of Famer. Yes. A couple months ago, this time next year, he will be inducted. Yes. And Mike Trout is only in his ninth year, so he's played 8.64 <laughs> seasons. Right. And now he has 72.5 war, and Jeter has 72.4. So let's pull up the career war rankings so so who is the best of all time in wins above replacement because we're not very analytically driven but but this is is a game that is veering towards that especially in the future so they've gone back and calculated these things obviously shout out to whoever's done that (laughs) babe ruth played 22 years he has a 182.4 war that's amazing (laughs) that's the best of all time and that's Almost 20 higher than Walter Johnson, who's in second. Jeez. So they update this on Baseball Reference. I highly recommend you check this out because the names on here are amazing and so noteworthy. So Trout has only played nine years. He's got 72.5. Now he's right behind Larry Walker. He's 87th on this list. The only other active player to be higher than him is his teammate, Albert Pujols, who's 31st with a 100.1 war. So this is the big question. Where do you think Mike Trout will end up? It's hard to predict this. Yes. Because you can't just think of pace and and averaging it and, and simple fractions of thinking where he's going to be. That, this stat doesn't work quite that smoothly. And his career will change. He might get hurt. He might drop off. He might play even better. He might win MVP this year. Yeah. Might hit 60 home runs. That's also true. He might pass Troy Gloss for the uh, <laughs> franchise record in home runs if he gets to 50. But here's hoping. I, I just I don't think he can pass Babe Ruth because that would mean that over his next 13 years. years to get to 22, because that's where Babe Ruth okay, was. Fair enough. He would need 110 WAR. I don't know if that's possible. Because in his prime right now, right. in nine years, he probably won't get to that. Because at That's the end true. of this year, he'll probably be at 75, maybe. That means that in his 18th year, by the, the pace rule, which we just said we shouldn't follow, but we're going to follow it, he'd have 150, 150 140-something. Yep. 150 would put him at seventh, passing Hank Aaron 
and a point behind Ty Cobb. That's if he stays on pace. If he plays even better, Tim, are we talking about a top three of all time war player? I think that's entirely possible. I think that he's going to be top ten. And for sure top ten. Top I think ten so too. is just a nice round, you know, benchmark that people can use, but that will just showcase finally. What people, some people still don't really seem to realize is that we are looking right now at one of the greatest players ever. Of all time. I'm a huge Albert Pujols fan. We've discussed this before. I think he's an amazing player, and he'll be a Hall of Famer too. But he's not like one of the greatest players ever. No, okay? he's, like Hank clearly Aaron, he's... <laughs> Hank Aaron is one of the greatest players to have ever played this yeah. game. So that's, this is how you define this. People love Derek Jeter. He will be a Hall of Famer too, etc. But he was a tremendous player. You can discuss the Jeter's slightly overrated narrative if we wanted. Regardless, he was a great player. I would never take that away from him. He'll be in the Hall of Fame, too. He was not one of the greatest players ever in terms of just his overall impact. Somebody like Babe Ruth. The fact that Walter Johnson is second on this list as a pitcher is absolutely baffling to me. So let me read off some more names, then. Babe Ruth is one. Walter Johnson, two. Cy Young, three. Okay. Barry Bonds, four. Okay. No asterisk there. <laughs> Willie Mays, five. Ty Cobb, Hank Aaron, Roger Clemens, no asterisk, <laughs> Tris Speaker, and Honus Wagner. Okay. That's the top ten. So we got a couple of pitchers on that list. Let me just reiterate, and again, I don't know all of these stats perfectly. I wish I did. Maybe I will one of these days. But war, in its simplest form, shows you how valuable that person is to the game. It's called wins above replacement. So if you have a league average player in that spot, so I don't, you could, people say if you put a, just a regular person in that spot, that's not true. If you put me in Mike Trout's spot, the <laughs> Angels would lose every game. So every game that I'm in, because that's just how it goes. I would never okay. hit Homer Bailey on the Royals or anybody else. I would, never, I would never be able to do any of that. I'd give you one hit. In my career? No, in a season. In a season? You'd, you'd piece one up. Maybe. If I beat out a single somehow, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. So. Whatever. I'm not a league average player. Somebody like, I don't know, Malik Smith is just the first person that comes to my head, is a maybe a league average player. Something, somebody like that, okay? Sure. So somebody you could find on any team. Maybe Brett Gardner even is kind of a league average player. Somebody like that. Yeah. If he played every game that Mike Trout played, the Angels would have 75 fewer wins over the, over last, the last nine, nine years. years. If some random other guy... Wow. pitched in the games that Walter Johnson pitched in for his entire career, his teams would have 160 fewer wins. That is my understanding of how this, how this stat reads. Right. So if all, is, all goes well, Mike Trout could have a war of about 150, which means he is worth 150 wins to the Angels or whatever team he ends up to the game. That is how much he is worth just by virtue of playing as well yeah. as he has for as long as he does. So that, to me, proves that he is one of the greatest players ever. You can hit 150, and as you say, you go back and back catalog all these things, and you know Walter Johnson's a legendary pitcher. I wouldn't have put him at that necessarily. I wouldn't have guessed it. No, you wouldn't have sure. guessed him as number two. I would have guessed Barry Bonds even higher than four, if you yeah. ask me. Anyway, I think that top ten is a very much not even, it's a very reachable goal. For Trout, and once that happens, because I think it will, once that happens, people I think will finally recognize. Look, not only is this a great player that I might you know watch occasionally, this is one of the best players ever among the likes 
of Hank Aaron and Babe Ruth and Walter Johnson, apparently, and people like that. Again, we don't respect Mike Trout enough. We, we don't, don't know what we have. I really think that, you know, every day, the, the Jordan-LeBron conversation, yep. and you'll refer to him on ESPN as the GOAT, LeBron. Yep. And he is respected as that. He gets almost every national televised opportunity. He's on a team in the same city, and he gets the, the spotlight to the nth degree. Trout is right there with him, and we've talked about the fact that the team around him isn't that good, and that's a, that's a penalty for him. Yep. It penalizes his, his, his greatness, his, his legacy. fame. Yep. But it's the same thing as LeBron. LeBron's going to end up, if there was a war in basketball, which maybe there is, they're on the same playing field that's at correct. this point. It, that's very true. I don't know if I'm comparing LeBron to Mike Trout, but why not? Why not? It, it's very possible that Mike Trout will end up as a top five player to ever play this game in this specific stat. Yes. And he's going to end up on the list for home runs. He's going to end up on the list for hits. It's only a matter of time until he gets to 3,000. If he stays healthy, he has the longevity to play 20 years. Yeah. I would assume so. No reason why he couldn't. Contract-wise, he's, he's getting paid. Yep, true. So he's going to be continuing to perform to the best of his ability I'm just flabbergasted, great word, yeah. SAT word, Point for you. that people aren't talking about this more. And it's, it's on us, it's on every media outlet and medium that he isn't talked about more. I know there are other stories to talk about. You can't have him on every single show. And I think that at MLB on Twitter and, and Instagram and all of that, they're doing a tremendous job now of marketing him mm. as the face of the game or one of the faces of the game. But there needs to be more to, more, there's more to be done. And kids growing up right now, for us it was Jeter. And he's not the GOAT. He gets a lot of championship rings. And I was a Yankee fan growing up. I loved him. I still do. Yep. But this is a whole nother tier. And we are witnessing it before our eyes right now. That's the last thing is that we're going to be, you and me and everybody will realize when the time comes, you know, if it's 15 years or whatever it is, 20, sorry, 15 or 12 years, whatever it is, when he finally has to be done playing, then we'll realize just what we really missed. We talked about this with Albert Pujols when he was setting a couple of records earlier this year. When he finally retires after next year or whatever it may be for him, we'll have to look back and be sad that we're not going to see somebody this great anymore so once LeBron James who's nearing the end of his career once he finally leaves it's going to be sad and we will have to realize look even if you think he's the greatest or not or top three or whatever you're not going to get to see him play anymore that's right. why Kobe Bryant had such the the big fanfare when he finally finished he's maybe a top five player as well happy birthday and, Kobe by the way <laughs> sorry it worked out perfectly <laughs> but he's not playing anymore and you realize it's the end of something great. Yeah. So that will happen when LeBron finishes in the NBA in five years or whatever it might be, whether he's the greatest of all time or continues to ascend to that. Once you know Tom Brady's same discussion when he ends in a couple of years out of the NFL, or uh, sooner, or sooner maybe, or <laughs> like when like when Wayne Gretzky finally left in the NHL, yeah. you realize it's the end of this greatness, and then you could you know continue to, to pile leaderboards and rank all these players ad nauseum after that. But we have to enjoy Mike Trout while we still can. Enjoy him before it's too late. So we're 22. Yep. In 10 years, Trout will be in his 19th year, assuming all goes well. 
and that is when it's finally going to, to unfold before our eyes and we can finally put into perspective as he climbs this leaderboard over the next decade. And this is the time if, if you're five years old and just picking up a t-ball bat or if you're in your 70s like our dads or even younger and you watched some of these guys on this list when you were growing up. Like this is baseball history. Yeah. This is a once in a generation type of, of not only player but conversation. Who's going to be next like this? You don't even know if Vladimir Guerrero or, or whoever the best young players, Pete Alonso, have any sort of potential like this. We haven't seen a player like this in a long time. A-Rod is 16th on this list. And again, the whole steroids thing. Right, but muddies the waters for sure. You haven't seen anything like that with Trout. Knock on wood, because that would be devastating. <laughs> so before we go, we've talked about a lot, and we mentioned this at the beginning, but I want to circle back. We could just have a conversation about this. This is our last episode, maybe our last episode of season two. We'll figure out the the, the, the name, titles. The nomenclature, yeah. But I'm going back to New York. Tim's going back to Raleigh and, and close to Durham. <laughs> and we're going to do our own thing respectively. We'll, we'll churn out some podcasts, but they're not going to be on camera like this. It's going to be mostly audio. We'll try to spice some video in there and use technology because technology is wild these days. And hopefully Tim takes a trip up to me. I'll try to take a trip down to him. We'll do some stuff together. But let us know what kind of content you want from us because we're in a bit of a transitional period now as we're looking for work. But we have some free time to try new things. And the playoffs are coming up. So this is an opportunity for us to do something new and fun. Yeah, we'll see. I mean, we, that's fittingly enough. I'll say that again. We'll see what, what comes next. Um, we'll see. I think it's possible that there is some sort of video component to this in the future, but we know that you can you know, still record audio from a distance. Professionals do that all the time to talk to reporters and have radio shows and all that stuff. So the technology does exist. So we're not done in this. The show is not over. It will look a little bit different, but you know, this whole season two, as I've called it, has been a slight departure from what the beginning of this season, season one, looked like as well. So we're just going to have a little bit of a different it's going to morph a little bit more. So I don't know exactly what it'll morph into or what our final form will be. This isn't even our final form. So you'll see you'll see something different from us. You'll hear from us absolutely physically. Uh, but, you know, stay tuned. We'll be back with you soon. Yeah, we've, we've grown a lot to this point. We're excited about what's next. But it's not goodbye. It's see you soon. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll see you next time.